Let's take a Bible and let's go to the 84th Psalm, just three over from where we were before. And um, one of the things that surprises us as we look through these Psalms, if someone were to say, Psalm 84, would anything come to your mind? Well, it didn't for me until I started reading it. And then I go, oh, 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 I know that verse. Oh, I know that verse. Because so many times what happens is we get a verse out of a little devotional book and we get just a piece of the psalm and we don't really see the context of what it's written in. Sometimes it may be a meme on Facebook. Sometimes it may be a bumper sticker on a car. It may be a Jesus person pocket promise book. I used to have one of those. And uh, they've got all these promises that you're supposed to claim and, uh, you know, and so you get these little bits and pieces of it. Well, let's get the whole thing. Um, sometimes when I go to Cracker Barrel, I like the fried apples. You like the fried apples at Cracker Barrel? But I don't want a whole meal of them. No, I, I like to have my, uh, what do I get? Sunrise Sampler. Okay, it's got a little piece of salty ham. I like the salty ham. It's got a piece of bacon. It's got a piece of sausage. It's got my scrambled eggs on it. It's got my hash brown casserole. I got my grits. I got my biscuits and gravy. And I've got my blackberry jelly and all of that. And then those fried apples. And, you know, you put them all together, it's a good deal. You get a little piece of it. I wouldn't want a whole meal of nothing but scrambled eggs. You know how I am about those. I wouldn't want just a meal of the ham. It'd be way too salty by the time you got a lot of it. But I'll put it all together... That's some good eating. And I'm afraid that a lot of times in the Bible, what we're doing is we're getting the side dish from a devotional. And it may be good, but it's not going to be all that nourishing. You need the whole plate. And God puts the whole plate out here for us. And uh, you're going to recognize some of these verses. And I want to talk about worship that rewards. God blesses his worshipers. And I don't want to just be the empty worshiper, the headless, heartless, thoughtless powerless worshiper that just puts in time and walks away unchanged. I want to be changed, even tonight. I want to be changed, challenged, fed, encouraged, rebuked, whatever I need. I want that, and I want that for you as well. And so Psalm 84 tells us how to be a worshiper where the worship rewards you, where it enriches you, where it fills you, where it brings blessing. And he says in verse 1, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Selah. That means stop and think about it. Okay, think about that. Verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. 
Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Think about it. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Recognize any verses out of that? Every person that I've ever known who is single, they say, the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. And that means I want a girlfriend <laughs> or a boyfriend or something. Um, in every book I've read about singleness, it, it would quote that verse. And when I was single, I read a lot of them. And I would think about that. And I would think about that verse. It would come up all the time. I suppose it has a lot of other applications no good thing will the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly and so uh, if it's good and you need it he'll give it to you if not he won't and you didn't need it it wasn't good for you not everything is good for everybody all the time you know it's kind of hard you got to leave that to the Lord but that's a verse that was in there um, it's interesting that when the uh, psalmist writes about these things you know, the first few verses say something that's interesting. It talks about my flesh longing for God, meaning my body, my physically I crave the presence of God, as well as my soul, kind of inside and outside. Everything is encompassed with a craving for God, wanting to be in His temple. I want to be there. I want to be in the temple. You ever had a time in your life where you just craved going to church and most people don't it's just something we do and it's something we've done for a long time it's something that we always do now for some people it's you know you I'll only go because mom and dad made me go but let's take it in the context of people who really they they really want to be here and and all of that but crave it I doubt that unless you're in a situation where in one of my dad's journals when he was taking care of mom for those two years that she was so sick. And because of her um, leukemia and the way they were treating it, she could not be around people at all. She couldn't be in strange uh, places. It had to be a sterile environment that she was used to. Uh, she couldn't even have pepper on her food because pepper would carry too many germs and threaten her life. You know what my dad wrote in his journal? He said, it's been, this is not verbatim it's been so long since I've been in church I want to go to church so bad it's kind of like what the psalmist said I just want to be there I know God's with me I just want to be there with the people of God I want to be in that place of worship there's something about just being there that just makes you feel better now I know in the New Testament sense, God doesn't dwell in this building as his home. And we don't have a temple that we go to like they did in Jerusalem. And we don't make those pilgrimages because God lives in us and we know that. 
But wouldn't you agree, New Testament spirit indwelt believers, that there's just something about going to the place of worship with other people who are indwelt by the Spirit of God. There's just something special about the gathering of God's people. Can I get an amen to that? It just blesses you, it uplifts you, it encourages you, it kind of solidifies you. And, the, and there's something amazing about the way we, we do things. Um, sometimes I'll talk to someone and they'll say uh, something like this. I'm really glad in Sunday school that so-and-so spoke up because I was thinking the same thing. What is the dynamic of that? Well, sometimes you think something or you have a question about something... And I know everybody says there's no such thing as a dumb question until you ask it, and then you feel kind of dumb, don't you? But when somebody else asks it for you and you go, you were thinking that too? And you get the answer, there's something powerful about that in there. There's also something powerful when a teacher or a preacher says something and, and they say something that is good and right and something that you've been thinking, and you sit there going, I thought maybe I was the only one who thought that. I'm glad he said that. And then all of a sudden, somebody booms, Amen! And you go, there's somebody else who thought that too. I'm not alone. And sometimes God uses the amens and the affirmation of other people to let you know, you're not, you're not a weirdo. You're not just on your own. There are other people who question and they think like you do. That's why I believe God wants us to be expressive in our worship because we live in a world that makes you feel very alone and isolated and very stupid. Right? It just doesn't take much. And sometimes just hearing somebody else who believes what you believe and being around people like that, it's just encouraging. So when you go to that workplace where maybe nobody else is saved... And they make you feel like you are the strangest duck on the planet. You come to church and you go, well, we are God's peculiar people. We're weird. But we're together in our weirdness. Amen? I mean, we're together in this. Let God be true and every man a liar. Well, that's kind of how we feel sometimes, that isolation, that, that scrutiny, the, the heat of those stairs and being out of step with everything and not being politically correct. It's, it's kind of hard. It's kind of weird. It feels good to get together tonight. It feels good for us to say, there's only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Can I get an amen on that? You won't get that at work, most of you. Some of you might. You won't get that out in the world. You're not going to hear that on the radio much. But it sure feels good to know you're not the only one who believes that way. It's uh, nice to know that on morality issues, you know, we agree on those kind of things. When the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, those are moral statements. And it sure seems like there's an awful lot of that going on in the world. I usually listen to the radio in the mornings while I'm getting ready to go. I've been amazed lately at how many shootings are taking place and how many uh, uh, crime. They talk about home invasions occasionally and weird places. There was one in, in Tuttle, America? Who does that? And you hear about those kind of things and you say, Oh, Lord, come quickly. At least I do. At least I do. And I think about some of those kind of things and I go, wow, is there anybody who wants to live right? Is there anybody who wants to have a moral compass? Is there anybody who wants to operate by good ethics? 
And then you watch some of these people that are running for office. Do you wonder what in the world are they thinking? It doesn't even make sense. And you go, boy, am I the only one that feels that way? It feels good to get together with the people of God and to know I'm not the only one. And we're different, and we may even have some different political viewpoints and all of that, but we're united under one thing. Jesus is Lord. It feels good to say that, doesn't it? It feels good to say that. We wonder what our guidebook is, and in this world where, I mean, people don't know hardly anything anymore. They can't decide anything. Sometimes this avowed evolutionist will say, use your God-given talent, and you want to go, What? Did you hear what you just said? They don't even know it. It's amazing that people will claim to be atheists will use God in, God's name in vain. Now, what's up with that? If he doesn't exist, why does that have to punctuate what you have to say? That's interesting to me. It's weird. And it's offensive, too. It's offensive. I knew a guy one time that he was in line at McDonald's and he heard somebody use God's name in vain and he just walked up and said... Brother, I'm so glad to meet you. And the guy looks at him, what do you mean I'm not your brother? And he goes, oh, well, you mentioned Jesus. I just assumed you knew him too. And the guy looks at him and that friend of mine witnessed to him. <laughs> Wasn't well received, but he did it. I mean, we're in enemy territory. Now, the psalmist is talking here about being in a place where he doesn't want to be but going to a place where he desperately wants to be. And notice these are words of desperation that he talks about at the very beginning, right? And so he says, um, how lovely are your, uh, what was that? Your how lovely is your tabernacle, um, Lord of hosts. And, and look, my soul, that's the inner part of him, longs, yes, even faints. For the courts of the Lord. My heart, there again, that inside part of him, and my flesh, my physical body, cry out for the living God. That's desperation. And notice here, he's jealous of sparrows and swallows who fly into maybe even the Holy of Holies and build a nest. Wow, you get to stay there all the time, little bird, and you don't even realize what you've got. That's the heart of the psalmist. If only I could be a, you know, you've heard people say, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. The psalmist is saying, I wish I could be a bird with a nest and just stay there all the time. Just stay there all the time. And you know, there are those times when I hate it that church is over. There are those times when I hate it when everybody leaves. There are those times when I just kind of wish we could all just stay here together and just make a night of it. You may not ever feel that way, but I do sometimes. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I just want to be in the presence of God, with the people of God, with the worshipers of God. And you know what his soul is crying for, really? Heaven. That's what heaven's going to be like. Fellowshipping with the people of God, praising God. Boy, for an eternity in heaven, you're never going to be persecuted. You're never going to be alone. You're never going to be out of step. You're never going to be out of sync with anything. You're never going to be politically incorrect. You're never going to be you know, wrong or any of those kind of things. You're never going to cause any hurt or experience any hurt. I mean, there's a part of that that deep inside, I don't understand how that all works, but there's a part of us inside that goes, oh, that would be nice. You know, we live in a world where everybody gets their feelings hurt and they get offended about everything. 
And we get so aggravated about that kind of stuff, and then it hurts our feelings, and we end up being just like them. And it's just kind of, oh, Lord, deliver me from all of this. Well, there's coming a day, folks. There's coming a day when what the psalmist writes here is going to be your life. And, uh, you know, he talks about being jealous of the birds, about everything he has longing and craving for uh, the Lord and wanting to be there uh, with the king, the true king. And he talks about blessings and a lot of things like that. So let's just uh, kind of dive in here and let's just get some points that we can take home with us. If you really want to be a rewarded worshiper, then the first point would be this. You've got to reset your values. You know, um, I'm amazed how people, let's just pick on football, okay? People will drive from all over the state of Oklahoma, hours sometimes, and sometimes they go the night before to spend the night and spend money on a hotel or bring their RV and all of that kind of stuff to go to a football game. And what stops them from going to a football game? Okay, do you suppose in Norman or Stillwater or in Athens, Georgia or Knoxville, Tennessee or any of those places, uh, wherever in Alabama, do you, uh, I forgot the name, where is it? Tuscaloosa. I started to say Talladega and that's the racing thing. In Tuscaloosa. Do you suppose anybody ever agonizes and go, oh, we got a cold front coming in. I bet nobody comes to the game. Hmm, no. Well, it's going to be raining. Forecast is raining in here. Boy, attendance is going to be low today. I bet we don't bring in much gate revenue. And whew, what are we going to do this next week to pay the bills? You suppose there's anything like that? Why? Because they'll pay any price to worship their God. And I mean that, that bluntly. They'll pay any price to worship their God. Ticket prices go up. You won't hear very many people go, well, we're just going to have to quit going. They go, got to figure out a way to make it happen. They'll do about anything they need to do in order to do that. Does that ever make you feel uneasy and out of step that God's people don't have the same type of commitment? It's amazing how little it takes to try to stop us because in this world, and you and I do it as well, we have a value system. We're born with a value system, and a value system is presented to us that is absolutely messed up and warped. And that's why we have the same people that don't want to execute a mass murderer. They want to kill a baby in the womb. Hmm, what's wrong with this? And uh, about 20 years ago, maybe not quite that long, or maybe longer, I don't know, uh, for him, the, uh, uh, the group had a song called Living Life Upside Down. And it said, what if we're falling to the bottom of a well thinking we're climbing to the top of a mountain? What if we're knocking at the gates of hell thinking we're heaven bound? What if we're living our lives for ourselves when we should have been living for each other? What if we reach up to touch the ground to find out we're living life upside down? And then it goes on to talk about things like the, what kind of a world do we live in when the life of a tree is more valuable than the life of a baby? And, and those kind of things. See, we've turned everything upside down and our value system is warped. Now, Christian... Don't be too quick to say amen because you and I are affected or shall we say infected by those same things. And you think about uh, if we were living in China and we were meeting like we meet, we would be what is known as an unregistered underground church and the government would be against us. And we would have to hide and we'd have to be careful 
we would have a strategy for coming to church so that a big group doesn't come all at once and we'd come in waves. You'd park a long way away so people would think you were at a, a bar or a hotel or something like that, but you were really going to church and you had to watch over your shoulder as you were coming in any kind of weather you would meet. And when you came into the building, it would be dark. And there'd be candles maybe that would be lit to kind of give a little bit of light. And we would sing softly because we don't want to be heard because the government would arrest us. And when we would proclaim the word of God, you wouldn't have a Bible to open, most of you, because those come at a premium. And there are some Bibles that the Chinese government will print, but they're special Bibles, you can imagine. But the true Word of God, you may or may not have a copy of it, or you might have a handwritten copy or something like that, and you're reading it, and then you wrap it up very carefully so it is preserved and so that nobody notices that it's a Bible whenever you're leaving. And then you leave in stages, and you go back, and you go to your home, and you don't talk, and you don't do a whole lot because you don't want to attract any attention because anything you do might cause somebody else to be in prison or cost them their life. And so you've got to be very, very careful with all of that. How do you think we would function in that kind of a situation? If somebody threatened your job, or threatened your livelihood, or threatened your family, would you still come to church? And you know what you find out about those people in those kind of situations? They crave it. You can't keep them away from it. They crave it. There's a story... When we lived in uh, Germany, there was a story. Uh, I, I would read about the underground church and read some of their biographies. Uh, there was a man named Sergei Kortikov, and he was a part of the Russian KGB. And his job was to lead a squad to persecute Christians, to find out where they were meeting and to uh, you know, beat them up, rough them up, round them up, whatever they could do to them. And... Um, he told the story about an underground church that was meeting and all of a sudden soldiers burst in the door and they were yelling, they had their weapons drawn and they told everybody to line up against the wall and they said, you've got 30 seconds to get out of here and spare your life or you stay and you die. And some people, huh, I'm out of here. I don't need to know because there were informants that were planted there by the government and they were running, they were getting out of there. There were some people that weren't real believers and they ran out of there. And when they got through, the soldiers said, Brothers, it's okay. We're Christians too. We just wanted to get the people out of here who were going to be causing trouble. Wow, what would I have done? What would you have done? Somebody said, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? you know? Well, this guy, this psalmist, no problem, because his values were right. It wasn't sports. It wasn't clothing. It wasn't income. It wasn't all of the stuff that we think we have to have. He said, I know, I know what's most important, and that is being in the presence of God with the people of God and worshiping God. And I say on that one point, I almost want to just quit preaching and just get in the altar for a while. Because we're all guilty of that, especially in our country and especially in our prosperity and things. We've got to reset our values. And I would encourage you to do that. Is 
the dwelling place of God really lovely to you? And do you ever just really crave to be in the presence of God? Whether it may be in your morning quiet time or whether it's together with the saints of God, do you really ever sense that and ever feel that? Number two, I think we need to redefine what blessing is because I think in America, if we say the word blessing, there's going to be something material that comes to our mind. Now, that could be. That could be. Somebody may give you something or you may be able to buy something and you say, oh, this is wonderful to have this. What a blessing. That, that's fine. But you notice here that the psalmist kind of redefines it for us in another way. He says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. You mean me in church all the time? Good night. What kind of a blessing is that? We can't wait to get out of here. You know? Vance Havner said we start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. Right? Because we don't really crave it. Just get it over with. Get it over with. Oh, I hope we don't sing another verse of the invitation. I'm not even going to stay for the invitation. We want to get out of here. But this psalmist said, no, it's a blessing to dwell in the house of God. See, we need to redefine blessing, don't we? And it says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will be praising you. And he said, think about that. Puny little sinners like us praising God and God accepts it. Wow, think about that. How can you get too much of that? How can you get tired of that? And then he goes on in verse 5 to say, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. In other words, my heart is set on that highway. I want to burn up the highway getting to the temple of God. Who thought that? Because I've got a feeling that as, they wrote, as he wrote this psalm, the reason he said that is because most people didn't feel that way. Most people said, oh, is it time to go there again? Oh, that trip is so long. It takes days. And it's hot. And there's rain in the forecast. And oh, we got to go with Uncle Jacob. I can't stand that guy. He's going to tell me all of his old war stories that I've heard before. And then um, Aunt Mary, she's just, oh, she's so negative and she gripes about everything. Do we have to go? Do I have to go? Can you imagine all of that? I mean, we've all heard the things where maybe our kids go, do I have to go to church? Well, can you imagine if you have to walk for three days to get there? Can you imagine if you had to camp out? To be at church and those kind of things like they would do. I got a feeling when I read the book of Malachi, for example, that was the attitude of the people of Israel. They're just like us. You didn't know Baptists were descended from Jews, did you? But yeah, we're the same way. It's human nature. And this guy goes, not me. The person who's really blessed, his heart is set on pilgrimage. One translation said his heart is set on the highway. You know why? He wants to burn up the road to get there. Man, he can't, you can't leave soon enough to get me there. I want to be in the presence of God with the people of God. We need to redefine blessings. It's not just getting a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not just getting, you know, ramped up or anything like that. And it's not getting something material. It's being in the presence of God. And you are blessed if you want that, if you crave that. Why do you desire it when so many other people don't desire it? It's called the grace of God in your life. That's what it is. And you are blessed if you have a desire to be with the people of God and learn the Word of God. Number three, look at this. Refresh others. You want your worship to be rewarded? Quit making it all about you. 
Refresh other people. Hey, I would say this. If you're a singer, tell Brother Dale, work up a song and tell him when you've got it ready. You say, well, I feel awkward with that. Well, that's what he's waiting on because he feels awkward sometimes asking other people. And he would like to have more special music. And we would like to have more special music, right? So work up something. Tell him you got something. And if you're bad, he'll put you on a Wednesday night, <laughs> right? Don't worry about it. And if you're bad, he'll work with you. He'll help you. So how do you know that? Because that's what I used to do. Yeah, somebody come up and it seemed like the ones that you wanted to sing, they never came up and said, I have something. And then those ones that you go, oh my goodness, she sounds like Minnie Mouse on steroids. It makes the speakers crackle and it hurts my ears. Okay? And those are the people that get up and they say, I didn't have a chance to practice, so don't listen to me. Listen to the words. And I'm thinking, I can't. You're too loud. You know. We'll make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Yeah, but some noises are nicer than others, right? I'm teasing about all of that. Um, worship should be about blessing others. When we ask for a testimony... Share something. Thank you for doing that tonight, by the way. Why? Because you know what that did? You were already blessed, but your sharing kind of blessed me. See? Uh, when you have an opportunity to meet somebody, just meet them. Get out of your comfort zone. Just do that. Why? You might refresh them. You might bless them. When somebody does something or says something good, I mean, it encourages me. To know that not everybody was sleeping through the sermon. And somebody writes a note or sends a text and says, I got something out of it. Here's what it meant in my life. Here's how I applied it. You know that all that does? Same thing it would do for you. It kind of charges you up and makes it go, okay, that's why. That's why we do this. That's why we do this. When I was at my first pastorate at Chelsea, I had a written out, typed out, on letterhead, letter of resignation in my top drawer. Because for the first year we were there, I wanted out of there every single week. And I would pray, Lord, I do not want to go back there again. I don't want to go in there again. I don't want to preach again. I'm sick of this. And then I made a deal with God. Can we just stay there a year? Because I'm better than this. Isn't that a nice, humble statement? But that's basically what it was. I'm better than this. And I had churches in Tulsa that I would drive by and say, Lord, that's what I really want. That's where I need to be. Boy, I could do something for you if I was there, but I can't do anything here. Can't do anything here. And the Lord never would uh, let me do that because I would preach something and it would just fall as flat as it could be. And I'd go back and I'd say, okay, Lord, I'm done. I'm out. And I'd pull that letter out and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this thing in. And then I'd open my Bible and I would look where we were preaching next. I was going through the book of Acts. And then I'd go, no, wait a minute. Put that in the drawer. This is the one that's going to bring revival. And I couldn't wait to preach. Couldn't wait to preach it because I just knew this is going to melt hard hearts. It's going to bring people to Christ. It's going to bring people to get right. We got that. Oh, that's why it didn't happen last week because we've got to get this message out. Then I'd preach that message. And it's like my associate pastor at uh, Tuttle I called him one time when he was filling in for me, and I said, Brother Larry, how'd it go? And he goes, well, and I knew, uh-oh. He said, it was good in my mind. He said, it was good in the study. He said, he was even good on paper. 
said, but when it came out of my mouth, <laughs> it never took off. It tripped over the Lord's Supper table. It fell in the center aisle, and it writhed there and died a slow, agonizing public death. <laughs> you know what? I know exactly what he means. Yeah. I've preached some of those, and I've listened to some of those. Boy, it's horrible. I've had times when uh, I wanted to say every head bowed and every eye closed because while you weren't looking, I was getting out of here. I didn't want to see anybody. And I've literally gone back there and taken up notes and crumbled them and thrown them in the trash. and go, boy, that'll never be a repeat. And then one time, a few months after I had one of those days, I got a card in the mail. And someone said, thank you for preaching that message. And I thought, what message? And they had the date on it. And I looked up the date, and it was that sermon I threw in the trash. Because Greg didn't do a good job speaking, but the Holy Spirit spoke. You see what we've got to do? And so sometimes you never know. What you do and what you say may keep a Sunday school teaching going another, another week, another year. May keep a preacher or a song, uh, a minister of music going another week, another year. You never know. It may keep somebody who does meals for somebody going another, another week or another month or another year. It may keep somebody who's witnessing to someone going another week, another month, another year. We just need that encouragement. You say, where are you getting that out of here? Look at this. Look at, at verse 6. They passed through the valley of Baca. Okay, so. Oh, look at the next thing. They make it a spring. They make it. They, not God, they make it a spring. You know what they did? As they were walking through those dry, barren, desert places. One of those Israelis on their way to worship said, Man, I wish there was a water fountain around here. Translation in the Old Testament, a well. So you know what they said? Why don't we stop and let's dig one. Well, all that's going to do is slow us down, make us hot, sweaty, and more thirsty. Yeah, but somebody coming behind us will be able to stop and get a drink. Maybe our kids, when they're our age, will be bringing their kids through, and they can stop and let the grandkids play in the water and get a drink, and it won't be so dry for them. And as I read this, I thought, what if... We decided that our worship and our lifestyle was for the glory of God, yes. But also the way we lived, it was to make it refreshing for somebody else. Bear ye one another's burdens, Paul said, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Well, maybe you can bear a burden by doing what you can do, and maybe you can leave a well behind for someone else. See, I don't buy the old thing of well. Me and my generation, boy, we had to suffer through that and we didn't need that. Well, it's a new generation. It's a new time. And by the way, you don't live like your parents lived either. That's why you're not on the farm. That's why you're not using an outhouse. That's why you have air conditioning. That's why you drive a luxury car. You know, all that. So what I'm saying is we've got to reset, as I said in point number one, in a way that leads to a practical expression of how do we make it easier for other people to come and worship. We've got to always be thinking about that. How do we refresh and bless other people? Because it's not about us four and no more. 
It's not about you. It's not about me. Because these people that do that, you would think digging the well would wear you out. But the Bible says you go from strength to strength. And you get to appear before God in Zion. That's the place where the temple was built. Number four. We're doing okay? I'm almost done. I promise. Number four, you've got to reorient your gaze. Uh, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, God of Jacob. Oh God, behold our shield. I think that's a reference to the king and the shield that he would hold as he went out to battle. And look upon the face of your anointed. I'm positive that's the king. And uh, why should that happen? Because if the king gets blessed, everybody gets blessed. If the king is protected, everybody is protected. If the king prospers, there's a tendency that everybody's going to prosper. And if the king's right with God, that's going to spill out on everybody else. So they would pray like that. And then they would say, one day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. There you go back again to, man, this guy wants to be with the Lord. And so his focus is different. He looks at life differently. He looks at his time differently. And most of us, we gaze at our problems and then we glance at God every once in a while when we should be gazing at God and glancing at our problems. Lord, I praise you. You're in control. You're the Holy One. You're the Sovereign One. i got a problem, God. Oh, Lord, I love you and I praise you and I thank you and I know you've got everything in control. Oh, there's another one, Lord. You see that? And go on like that. We don't do that very often. We gaze. Oh, Lord, it's getting bigger. It's moving. It's crawling. It's got a sword. Oh, Lord. Yeah, and we do that kind of thing. Amen? And we need to turn that around and we need to get our focus right and uh, reorient your gaze. Put it upon the Lord and understand it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And then number five, and we'll be done. Remember his promise. Why did the psalmist say that's also good? For the Lord God is a sun. He brings light. He brings heat. He brings warmth. Everything that's necessary for growth. And he's a shield. He is a protector. He is a defender. He is the authority. And he gives grace and he gives glory. And in his grace he raises up wicked, awful people like you and like me. And he makes nobodies into somebodies, right? Sons and daughters of the king. And he says, no good thing will this father withhold from those who are saved he didn't say that those who acknowledge his existence no he didn't say that those who go to church no he didn't say that those who walk uprightly you want God to really bless your worship then apply what you learn walk uprightly quit trying to figure out how much you can be like the world and still be called a Christian Figure out how close you can get to Jesus and still be sane in this world, right? Uh, fools for Christ. We're so, we're so afraid of that. And, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, we sing that, and then when God puts us in a place where we have to trust him, we're panicked. I've got to wait on God. I've got to trust him. I don't have anything but God. It's that old joke. The pastor comes in, says to the secretary, Miss Jones, there's nothing left to do but to pray. Oh, no, has it come to that? You know? And we're so out of whack. So what this psalmist is saying is, turn around. 
Recognize where you are, who you are, how you think, and how far you, how away you are from what this man of God was like. See, this is a song that is a psalm that is written to the to the sons of Korah, the choir. It's one of their responsibilities, so they could sing about all of this. And you know how when you sing about something you don't believe, it's kind of like that sermon my friend preached. It just falls flat. It's amazing how when you try to witness about Jesus and you're kind of cornered about him, but it's not the passion of your heart, it just kind of falls flat. Somebody asks you to give a testimony and you feel obligated to do it and you do it, but your heart's not in it. You're not overflowing. It just falls flat. Well, no wonder we don't disciple and make an impact. And no wonder we're not excited about those things. And no wonder we're not rewarded in our worship because God will give us, well, you reap what you sow. So you put a couple of seeds in it, you'll get a couple of stalks. Okay, look, i got two stalks of wheat. That's hardly a bumper crop. Well, you come into your worship and you've been scattering bushels of seed through prayer, bushels of seed in witnessing and inviting people to church and following up on guests and discipling other people and digging wells for them. And then you come in with a bumper crop bringing in those sheaves that you can't even carry. And people go, how come God's blessing him? You reap what you sow. And if you sow to the flesh, reap to the flesh. It'll come. If you sow to the Spirit, then you'll get a spiritual harvest. And if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. So I challenge you. Before Sunday morning comes, you put a lot into the worship before we ever get here. And you come here with a smile on your face, with a longing in your heart. And you come in here with an optimistic, faith-filled spirit. And you say, we are here today to worship the living God. And we want people to know Him. And you do everything you can to dig a well to make it easier for someone else. That may mean you have to work in the nursery to help a young couple, right? may mean you have to step up and fill in for a class. Any number of things could come up like that. And you know what's going to happen? Blessed is a man who trusts in you. You don't do it just because nobody else will do it and you're down in the mouth. You do it because it's an opportunity to serve God and to dig a well for somebody else. How different do you think church would be if just a handful of people came in like that? I think it would be contagious. I think it'd be contagious. Because I don't think this was a majority in the day of the psalmist. I think that's why that psalm stood out. That guy's rare. Will you be the exception to the rule Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? Be the exception. Don't be like everybody else. Be Psalm 84. And God will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. There's a promise to claim. Sound good? Sound good? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's don't just say amen to it. Let's do it. Let's do it. A farmer was praying with his grandson... And he prayed for a good crop and a good harvest. And then he said, in Jesus' name. And then he got up. The little boy is kind of bewildered. He didn't say amen. You can't finish praying without saying amen, can you? So he asked Grandpa. His Grandpa's putting on his boots and lacing them up. And then he reached up there and hanging there was a hoe. H-O-E. You know what that is. Right? You know what that is? And he said... Grandpa, why didn't you say amen? And Grandpa said, I say amen with this. Let's go to work.
Faith without works is dead. Let that never be said of you. Even if it is of everybody else, may it never be said of you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalmist, whoever he was. Thank you for his zeal for your house, his zeal to worship. But Lord, as I read that, it goes even further than that. It wasn't just about the place. It was about you. Oh, Lord, that we might have it to where our heart and our flesh crave you. And may our value system be right. May we focus on what we need to focus on. And may we remember your generous, generous promise not to withhold anything good from those who walk uprightly. We're not the losers when we walk with God. And help us, help us to realize that blessed is the man who trusts in you. God grant it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.